0: Coming up this hour, we're going to hit some headlines, and then we're joined by Dr. Gene Kroom from Judson University. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. So glad that you're here. Happy Friday. The weekend awaits us. But what what are weekends anymore anyway that it doesn't – I don't really – I mean – I will say this, though. Uh, the last church I was at for 10 years, my beloved church in Bartlett, Poplar Creek Church, they have a living nativity they do every year. Um, okay. Obviously, this year looks much different, and they're doing like a drive-through living nativity experience. I This just dawned on me. I should have talked about this really? earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go to poplarcreek.com and learn more. That's tonight and tomorrow night. From the safety of your car, you get experience, it's like live animals and people in costumes and yeah, it's it, honestly, it's like one of my favorite things that we used to do. And the fact that they're adapting for uh, a new reality, I think, is super, super smart. So, yeah, poplarcreek.com. I just popped it in my head. Why not? OK, so normally, Brian, we'd have a bit of banter, but I have, what, 37 articles here in this first you segment? A lot. Something like that. You are ambitious today. <laughs> yeah, there's no way we're going to get to all of them. So let's just sort of spin the wheel and you, I'll let you choose.
1: Yeah, I saw this one flying around Facebook and Twitter, and and I was glad that you put it on here. Kirk Cameron, you know, well-known from Left Behind or Growing Pains. He's more known for Growing Pains, I think. Uh, Kirk Cameron, under fire for caroling protests, but absolutely plans to hold more. So let me give you the background of this. Uh, Christian actor and filmmaker Kirk Cameron has drawn criticism for organizing large outdoor gatherings of mostly maskless people to sing Christmas carols in protest of California's COVID-19 restrictions. The latest event that Cameron held was on December 13th, and the actor says he, quote, absolutely absolutely. Plans to hold more. He said, I'm looking around and I'm seeing the devastation and the suffering of the people whose businesses have been bankrupted, people dealing with anxiety, depression, suicide is spiking, the abused being quarantined with their abusers. I can't ignore it anymore. I love my neighbors, so I want to give them hope. Uh and so uh the article goes on to say that it's reminiscent here of Sean Foyt's worship mm-hmm. protests and Pastor mm-hmm. Doug Wilson's psalm sings. And, and so I don't. I don't disagree with anything he said, right? Like people need hope right now, but you're dealing with a state in California where there are parts of the state, I believe Los Angeles, Los Angeles right now, where they literally have run out of ICU beds right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so uh, this feels, ah, uh, there seems like there's a little one upsmanship going on with this right now. That started with Sean Foy, moving to Doug Wilson, moving to Kirk Cameron. Maybe I'm wrong. If Kirk Cameron was on here, maybe he'd be like, absolutely not. But it feels like it. Like, it feels weird that people keep using worship protests and psalm protests and caroling protests. I don't know. It leaves me really uneasy uh, on top of the health issues of it all. What do you think about this?
0: Well, I don't I don't have time to get into that because I want to get to all 37 of these headlines. But Mm -hmm. uh, we would love to know what people think. You can weigh in over the Facebook page. Kind of connected to that, actually, is this Lauren Daigle news. Lauren Daigle removed from rock and new year's Eve celebration for participation in Sean Foyt's worship protest. So like you were saying, we see a lot of this going on. Do you think this is the right call? I mean, it's their
1: prerogative. If you read the story, Lauren Daigle was, she said she just wandered upon it and then they handed her a mic and asked her to sing, which also seems odd. Um, (laughs) But you know what? Uh, The Sean Foyt thing made a lot of people angry. And so uh, if she is being lumped in with that because she sang at it, it's their prerogative to take her off of it. It seems like an overstep to me, you know, like it's not like it was Lauren Daigle who ran it. But, you know, mm-hmm. if they're linking her with that and don't want her as a part of their show, so be it feels like an overstep to me. But it's not it's not all that surprising uh, in the end.
0: Yeah, not not surprising is probably what I imagine a lot of people are feeling. I want to in a second go to some some international news. It's been a while since we've talked about. Some of especially from a like a Christian perspective. But uh, there's some sports news that I wanted to make sure to give you a chance to talk about.
1: I mean, it's not only sports news, but it's my favorite (laughs) baseball team here. So you are just throwing me a bone here on a Friday. (laughs) The the Mets just signed a catcher that I'm very excited about by the name of James McCann. Uh, He was on the White Sox. So those of you who are baseball fans out here in the Chicagoland area, you'll know he was on the White Sox last year. Uh, signed a four-year, I think forty million dollar contract. The Mets are the Mets are moving this year, and I'm a big Mets fan. Uh, but it, this is actually from Sports Spectrum. You might be like, "Why are you talking about the Mets catcher being signed?" Well, uh, at Sports Spectrum, which kind of talks about where sports and faith connect, and they interview uh, you know athletes, men and women who are also brothers and sisters in Christ. And and James McCann talks about his faith here, and I just love what he says at the end. He talks about his identity. He says, "Finding my identity of who you are." Finding that identity of who you are is the key. And that identity is that I'm a child of God. I can mm. be the same day in and day out because of where I place my identity, and that's in Jesus. And just found that really encouraging. The guy just signed a huge contract, kind of his dreams are coming true. They yeah. talk about some problems, it's some health issues for his kids. Uh, and so it's a really cool story. We put it up on our Facebook page. But the way he ends it there, something that you and I talk about all the time, talking about even as I'm signing this huge contract or at the depths with some health problems, my identity's in Christ, my identities in Jesus as a child of God. And I can rest in that. I think such a great message.
0: Well, and without being too dark, I mean, you mentioned the word encouraging a couple of times in that one. The next two are probably not going to be it's nearly as encouraging. And I, I do want to give that caveat. But I also... We say this every time. I think it's important for us to remember kind of the, the global experience and perspective of Christians all around the world because I think it's it can be really easy for us to see it and experience it, you know, kind of only from our worldview. So this first one from uh, Christian News Now, Christmas holiday bus attacks in Kenya bring condemnation from Christians and Muslim leaders. So what is going on here?
1: Yeah, these are. These are so hard to read. And also, yeah. like you said, they just kind of wake us up because we could become so insulated about just yes. America or just Chicagoland. And these stories right. just shake you. it says Christians traveling on buses for Christmas holiday close to the border with Somalia have recently become targets of the Somalian militant group Al-Shabaab. According to Christians in the re- region, traveling has become a risky endeavor as the militants have seized, seized buses on remote roads. Locals in the mostly Muslim communities in the area have been accused of aiding the attacks, such some of which have been fatal. Uh, in response to the attacks, Christian and Muslim leaders have stepped up interfaith dialogue in hopes of reigning in the bus attacks and other threats to the borders, border region's small Christian community so uh, you know there's more to this story but but just yeah. the idea that getting on a bus you could be a target or for your faith just any of these is it shakes you because yeah we yeah. talk about you know things in our community or whatever else but man you read stuff like this and the lengths and the danger that some people some of our brothers and sisters around the world face it really is it really does kind of catch your breath you're just kind of like oh i, I can't believe that that's their reality
0: yeah, well, and speaking of which, this next one is equally difficult. Thousands of pastors go into hiding amid China's rising persecution attempts to eradicate Christianity. I don't I don't know if you saw this one or not.
1: I did not, but it says this. Tens of thousands of house church pastors and evangelists across China have gone into hiding as the Communist Party prepares for what seems like a quote final assault on Christianity in an attempt to eradicate it from the country, according to the mission group Asia Harvest. In its final newsletter in 2020, Asia Harvest said pastors have disconnected from their phones and computers so that the government authorities can no longer use those devices to track their movement. These pastors have also reportedly destroyed the microchips inside their ID cards, so authorities cannot track their locations using those devices either. So again, uh, I don't mean to be a broken record from what I just said, but you read this stuff about the world and you go, my gosh, there's unbelievable persecution. There are brothers and sisters, pastors and, and lay people around the world uh, who are following Jesus, who are facing um, imprisonment, torture, death on a regular basis, and yet they still remain faithful. We here in the States need to be praying, and this needs to just kind of give us some perspective as we read about this.
0: Yeah. And and again, somebody might be asking, why are you starting the show off with this? And I I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I just think it's important. I think it's important for us to remember the big C global church and some of the stuff Mm -hmm. that I know, at least in my own life, I can I can certainly be, like you said, insulated from, at the very least, to call us all to prayer. Let's 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 end with a brief PSA, just real briefly from New York Post. I thought this headline was interesting. Wearing a used mask could be worse than no mask amid COVID-19 study. So you surprised by that? Is that something that uh, you've thought much about?
1: No, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not surprised once I read it, but I don't give much thought to it, if that makes any sense. Like, I just kind of take my mask, throw it on. Don't you know, it's probably kind of gross. And you do th- now that you think about it, I just live in this world where the masks are good and they're helpful. But they're saying, yeah. no, you got to give some thought because reusing masks can be actually be worse. I think uh, this is a good as you use the word PSA. I think this is helpful.
0: Yeah. Which is sort of a segue. This isn't my best segue ever, but uh, I wanted to spend the next segment talking about scientific ways to kind of combat COVID-19 stress, because I know a lot of us are feeling that right now. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. It is Friday. You're a big fan of Friday. How how you doing? Huge. Friday. You know, it's a good day in
1: our house because also my kids, uh, you know, my daughter who's in high school has been just remote learning, but my other two kids, uh, junior high and and elementary school I've been in hybrid learning and do you remember when you were a kid when you weren't even maybe even when you were homeschooling but especially those years you didn't where it was like the last day before Christmas break that's today mm. uh, and so a little bit of energy in the house today as the kids are like you know now they got like that long Christmas break two weeks or whatever so oh yeah uh, a good day lots of excitement like my daughter's already making cookies so the whole house smells like Christmas cookies right now so
2: yeah, yeah
0: I'm winning right now man I'm winning you're living the dream, my man. I uh, yes. I mentioned this in the first segment. I, I'm looking forward actually to go to, to Poplar Creek. Poplar Creek Church in Bartlett, Illinois, by the way, for the uh the drive through living nativity. I I saw it pop up on Facebook and I was like, Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Plus it's when you have like a three and two year old, it's like yeah. the best thing in the world when they're like, Hey, don't even need to leave your car. And I'm like, I'm there. That's the kind of event <laughs> I'm in. that I'm looking for, pandemic or otherwise. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Just, just trap them in, throw some chicken nuggets back there and hope for the best. So, oh, maybe I'll come in your car. <laughs> <laughs> you are not invited. Um, just, kidding, just kidding. Always invited. All right. So we, we've talked a fair deal the last couple of weeks about stress and anxiety. Even mm-hmm. yesterday, a little more intensely about depression and suicidal thoughts. I thought this was pretty interesting. As from CNN Health, five science-backed ways to stop COVID-19 pandemic stress right now. I know a lot of people... I mean, probably half of the people, when I ask them, hey, how are you, is some version of, "Ah, I mean, I'm just stressed. I'm or I'm tired, overwhelmed or whatever. So I thought, okay, this might not be the most inspiring segment, but I I certainly think it'll be practical. So do you want to get us into it a little bit?
1: Yeah, it talks that begins by talking about just exactly what you said, how stressed out we are because of the pandemic and everything changing. And then it says, could it be worse? Yes, because it's the holidays In normal times, that alone would be enough to overwhelm our coping skills. But this is 2020, and on top of everything else, we have a duty to protect our loved ones despite our need for togetherness. Dr. Anthony Fauci said, I think it could be even more of a challenge than what we saw at Thanksgiving. I hope that people realize that and understand that as difficult as this is, nobody wants to modify, uh, if not essentially shut down their holiday season. But we're in a uh, very critical time, he said, in this country right now. And so it's talking about how we're all there's so many people just stressed, anxiety, uh, you know, holidays look different, everything looks different. And so this article from CNN Health is going to say, uh, here are five expert vetted ways on how to put an end to stress and take back some control, which I think like you said, it's not groundbreaking, but I think it's just helpful. Uh because there's a lot of people out there uh, who are just feeling overly stressed? Going, I'm not sure there's anything I can do. And this is some some people who are who are experts in the field going, no, no. Here's a couple really practical things uh, that you can do to kind of relieve the stress and take back some control this holiday season.
0: Yeah. So this first one, simply stop and breathe. Just stop and breathe, but do so deeply. So they are going to quote Dr. Cynthia Acrel, an editor at Contentment Magazine, who says we can stop the physiology of stress dead in its tracks. By ramping up our parasympathetic nervous system, so this is something that my uh, my brother, who's a doctor, who's talked a, a fair deal about how little attention the average person gives, even to their parasympathetic nervous system. But it's amazing how much. Like I like this example. It goes on. It says, if a man's chasing us with a knife, we're probably we probably don't want to do that. She continued, but if we're creating most of the stress between our ears, we can reverse that with slow, deep breathing and progressive relaxation. Things that involve. Uh, that evoke the relaxation response, which is your parasympathetic nervous system pushing you back into balance. So again, like you said, not groundbreaking, but certainly something I imagine someone's listening right now, realizing right this minute, how fast you're actually breathing, most of us don't Mm -hmm. give that much thought to it. And then when you hear someone bring it up, you're like, Oh, I am clenching my jaw, I am hunched over and I am breathing kind of fast. So that is the uh, that's the first of five suggestions. Mm -hmm. Number two, learn
1: your triggers. The best time to practice deep breathing or other relaxation techniques is before you're in full panic mode. Right. That means learning your body's telltale cues, the early signs that stress is taking hold. Perhaps your shoulders get tight, your neck tense, your stomach sours, or you have the beginnings of a headache. Uh, She said you want to back up from the crash to the beginning of swerving into the wrong lane. We're not used to checking in with our bodies, so it takes a bit of practice but learning your subtle science is a really lovely skill that lets you adjust on the fly. Not sure what your stress face looks like? Ask your kids,
0: <laughs> ask your partner. They could probably tell you. Uh, so that is that is a good one. Learn your triggers. Okay, so this is one I've actually been working on recently. Move in slow motion. One way to interrupt the stress circuits in the brain is to literally slow down your movements, according to Michelle Ann, a certified professional coach with training in neuroscience and leadership. It's something, this is probably TMI, but I, I don't know if you if you do this, but like in the shower, I'm like, I'm like cleaning so fast. I'm like in this crazy hurry, even if I'm not in a hurry. And I've been trying to think through like, hey, man, you don't have to be going at this pace right now. Like just <laughs> slow down. And it's amazing. It's amazing how much a difference that makes. Honestly, not even just in that moment for the rest of the day. But, you know, we do this in a lot of circumstances. where We're just, well, why are you, why are you slamming the dishes in the dishwasher or whatever? Like just yeah, slow down your motions. It has, I think, tremendous impact.
1: Next one, number four, I believe, stay in the present. Another way to interrupt the stress response is to ground yourself in the moment. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your bottom on the chair. Be aware of the heaviness. It brings you back to the present. It feels grounding. Uh, She also recommends require uh, focusing on all five senses. Acknowledge five things you see around you, four things that you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. What you're doing is completely coming into the present by focusing your brain on a kind of interesting, but non-threatening activity. So uh, this idea of being in the present, uh, being not just, uh, you know, in a weird, in, in a, you know, kind of an existential way, but actually physically allowing yourself to realize what's going on around you in the present.
0: Yeah. This last one is one that I, I can't recommend enough. Make a list. There's too much to do so much that your brain can't store it all. You can feel the pressure rising as you ping pong from one task to the other. Guilty as charged. Frightened that something is falling through the cracks. My mother calls it hopscotching when the brain jumps from one thing to the next, Akril said. Whatever you call it, it translates into, I don't have what it takes to manage the stress, and that's when it's toxic. Fight back by making a list of all the items on your to-do list. Separate by work, home, school, or whatever makes sense for you, and keep it by your side to add each new chore. The act of getting those items onto paper and out of your head is freeing. And there's the added pleasure of accomplishment when you cross each chore off of your list. I personally use an app called Todoist, and there's a plug-in mm. for your browser that also corresponds to your phone. So anytime something like pops into my head, I can add it right then and there rather than having to like look for a pad of paper or like, ah, is it in my notes app or is it my Google Drive? Or, is it my nope? It all syncs right there. I don't I don't know if you have anything like that for like personal project management or anything that you would recommend? I don't,
1: I don't. And I am a list guy, but sometimes my lists can stress me out because they're kind of all over the place. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah, so that, what is the app called? To Doist. To Doist, yep, it's fantastic. To it. I'm going to check that out. This article ends by saying, practice makes perfect. Of course, the best way to make these techniques a part of your stress reduction toolkit is to practice them as often as possible, to make as possible. In other words, make them a habit. She said, "Many of us were many of us were brought up thinking they're just a pill for everything, and got us away from practicing some of the skills. When you learn the skills, you're ramping up your coping confidence. You're pushing mm-hmm. yourself self up that curve, allowing yourself right to fail, but to practice and to eventually make it a habit. That's that's a good word to end on."
0: Yeah, totally agree. Well, coming up next, president of my beloved alma mater Judson University, right here in Elgin, Illinois, Doctor Jean Kroom is going to join us and talk about. All this debacle with the sort of advanced degree doctrinal debate right now, and that is coming up next year on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. But we are absolutely thrilled to have on the show, for his trifecta appearance, the one and only from my beloved alma mater, Judson University, Dr. Gene Kroon. Welcome back to the show, sir.
2: Thank you very much, Ian. Happy to be here. And, and thanks for using the doctor title. <laughs> That's what we call in uh, the
0: bids a bit of foreshadowing. Before, before we get to that, though, would you, would you just introduce yourself again to our audience?
2: Absolutely. Dr. Gene Croom is my name. Actually, my name is Gene Croom. We'll talk about that. <laughs> I've, I've had the pleasure to be president of Judson Now for uh, I'm in my eighth year. And uh, just uh, love it, Judson University. Like many of you know from here here in Ian and 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 uh, Brian debate their alma maters on the mm-hmm.
3: show
2: <laughs> uh, is a great uh, Christian liberal arts school in Elgin, Illinois, and a campus in Rockford and online around mm-hmm. the world. And um, uh, it's just a pleasure to be back with you.
1: Yeah, it's the pleasure is ours to have you back. And and we joked about it, but we did want to talk to you about that story that, quite frankly, I didn't even see coming. This uh, op ed that was written where they basically said the author said that uh, Jill Biden shouldn't use doctor, that she's not a real doctor. If you can't do surgery, you're not a doctor. Uh, And so we thought you could really add to this conversation. What is going on with this this doctoral debate centered around uh, Dr. Jill Biden?
2: Well, there's a there's a couple of things that are going on with that. Uh, one, just a quick side story. Uh, I believe that Dan Proft has even shared in the past too. and that is when I earned my doctorate, my dad would introduce me as, "This is my son, Dr. Gene Croom," but he's not the kind of doctor that can help anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and so, Dad did it with uh, you know to joke around and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, Dad also knew that that how you hold a title and what you want to do with it uh, either reflects it reflects your character one way or the other. Mm. And so um, I earned my doctorate because of my desire to want to do it, to honor my mom and dad, for my grandparents. It it does have a currency in uh, professional life, Uh, but there are some people who make the title uh, everything about their identity, and that's a dangerous perspective. And then there are some people who dismiss when people earn credentials like pastor or minister or reverend. Or if you're in the military, and what's interesting about this conversation is that we we haven't talked about that, but general or retired general or uh, former governor, things like that titles are an Mm -hmm. important part. And that's the second part of it. The preface to this really began uh, in journalism about uh, 2015, 2016, during the uh, Republican uh, primaries, when the media uh, stopped referring to Dr. Ben Carson as Dr. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. they made a slight change to what I grew up with, with AP Style Manual and other publications like uh, New York Times at the time, The Wall Street Journal and Washington Post going back years and years and years. They would never use the Ph.D. or E.D. title doctor. They would only use doctor for a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And so when it signifies academic expertise, uh, it was never really used in in, uh, popular parlance, parlance. But on a college campus or in other places like that, yeah, I mean, you know, here people call me President Kroom or Doctor Kroom. It's just a mm-hmm. currency of the conversation. It's my obligation not to make doc- Doctor my identity. It's to be Gene right. first um, and to focus on that. And I think we've lost that in the discussion.
0: You know, my my brother's a chiropractor, and I remember when when he received his degree, I w- we were all so eager. I remember asking him, "When you go out to eat now?" When they bring your food, you go ah, just what the doctor ordered, and and he looked at me. He's like, no, Ian, no, I don't do that. I was like, oh yeah, okay.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm I'm, as bad as you. I'm as bad as you, Ian. I've always wanted to be on a plane and have someone go, is there a doctor on the plane? (laughs) And I've always wanted to go, yeah, but I can't help anyone. Uh, Well, it's funny because my.
0: Yeah. My, my, my same brother, he will often refer to himself as a fake doctor and sometimes people laugh and sometimes they don't know what to do. And I, I've been kind of dying to ask you this question. Why are credentials important or, or are they actually important? Do you, do you see them as, as significant things that we should be considering?
2: Well, they are important. I think we make a, a little bit too much of them at times, uh, like we do in our humanness about things like that. We, mm. we, we, we lose the most important title, which is being a child of Christ, you know, right. and we tend to put all the humanly titles in front of all that. So, we do lose their importance, but yeah, I mean, in higher education, in the ministry and in other environments, when you have a, an earned credential, then that shows that, that you've cared enough about your craft to want to continue to study it. it in a, in, mm. It's not unlike people in trades and other professions who earn additional credentials. That Those, those mm. are those are signals to the outside world that they care about their craft. And I believe it's just as important in those environments that if someone goes, oh yeah, I've, I've earned my master blacksmithing certificate because I'm really passionate about blacksmithing for us to go, well, that's, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what did it take to do that? And I think when most of us learn the hours people put in, the time of study, how serious they are about it, we should be impressed because people care about these things to to use their God-given talents. Now, what is interesting, there is a pecking order, whether people in education want to admit it or, or not, but a PhD does carry more currency than an EDD degree does. And so that can become a little snooty at times, where it's, <laughs> oh, they only have an EDD and not a PhD. But I think the expression of the degree is equally as important. You, you just described it with your brother. There's a pecking order in the medical world hmm. of, a, a, of an MD and, and what type of medical program, and are you a doctor of chiropractic now? Or So we, we tend to sort of distort people's heartfelt desire to want to become better, by doing these things, the last piece I'll add on this, too, is I think it's really unfortunate how we sometimes um, uh, sort of diminish people who have honorary doctorates.
3: Mm, and right.
2: and that, that's important because, Judson, we gave two this past weekend, one to Huntley Brown, Reverend Dr. Huntley Brown, phenomenal guy. Another mm-hmm. one to Dr. Denny Johnson. We've got some big announcements after the first of the year on some doctorates that we're going to bestow. Well, we're bestowing an honorary doctorate because those people earned it by their life's work. Mm-hmm. And so for a different credential, their life's expression has made us go, wow, we want to honor what you have done in life with that. I I feel like you shouldn't even diminish someone's honorary doctorate, because if you do, you also diminish the institution that awarded it. That's
3: mm. good.
1: Uh, with that in mind, I'm looking forward to the Dr. Ian Simpkins day at Judson University. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think
2: so. <laughs> we're, we're, on it here. We're, we're trying to get the votes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And Gene, understanding that most of our audience, if not all, are Christians, why should Christ followers even care about this? Why is this an important topic for the church right now?
2: Well, thanks for the question, Brian, because I, I think and I think it's important for two reasons. Number one, we've become so polarized in our debates. This is another great example that we can take something that should be fairly fun to talk about or at least interesting to talk about. And we've now politicized it and we've made it about either or.
3: Hmm. And
2: so we need to be very conscious of that. That if we really want to change the dialogue in in this country, we need to start, you know, making these things uh, antagonistic discussions. The other reason, too, is that uh, earning a credential is one thing. Choosing to wear it as a badge of honor that you make other people bow to it is not Hmm. most Hmm. like. I really do believe how people choose to reflect those credentials at times really can reveal their character. And so I think, as Christ followers, if we put our credentials above child of God, then we're we're making a terrible expression to those that don't know Christ, because they they see us all about the the humanness and the secularness of the world, and not really uh, you know celebrating that that God God gifted me with the ability to go earn a doctorate, and I'm eternally thankful. But I, I, I'm. I'm Gene. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a friend. Mm. I'm a child of God. Those are the real titles that make a difference. And I think those are the character expressions we should be looking for.
0: I love that. I mentioned on the show probably at least every week that my my time at Judson was just incredibly formative. I I love the current Judson community and the leadership there. I'm personally, Gene, just really grateful for you and your influence and your friendship. I'd love for people to be able to know how to get in contact with you or how to get to know more about the school. Could you just hit us with with websites and social media and and anything else you think would be helpful?
2: Absolutely. It's uh, judsonu.edu is the best way to track us down. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. So you can find us with uh, a lot of social media on there and all those will direct you back to the uh, to the university.
0: That's great. For the third time, Dr. Gene <laughs> Kroon, president of my beloved alma mater, Judson University. Brother, thank you so much for making the time to be with us today.
2: Thank you both very, very much. Take care.
0: You too. You too. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We are so glad that you are here, wherever here is. I wonder, we should ask some time, like where are people listening from? I think yeah. we sort of assume Midwest, but uh, yeah, if you're listening from somewhere not Illinois, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on the Facebook page, or Twitter, or Instagram. It's all at Common Good Talk. I want to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul and social media, but before we go there, Brian, I want to make sure that we get these holidays in here. Are you are you ready for some holidays?
1: Uh, yes, I <laughs> I don't I don't even know why you even ask that question anymore. That's true. Yeah. No, I'm ready. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we got another national day in Qatar. Did I'm realizing that most of the world apparently has just national days. I don't know, apparently so. If that's, apparently I'm, so. I'm I'm learning something here. It's also uh International Migrants Day. I didn't know that. It's okay. Arabic Language Day. These are both international holidays, but let's let's get to the weird ones. You ready? Yes. Uh first off, it's underdog day. So, oh given given uh, our sports inclinations the teams we tend to root for this is something that you and I can both <laughs> yes. celebrate hopefully this carries over to the weekend <laughs> right. as also national ugly christmas sweater day i don't know if you're an mm-hmm. ugly christmas sweater guy or not
1: i am not but my daughter did have did get to wear one to school today
0: so okay yes. lovely uh answer the telephone like buddy the elf day <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. Do you I remember, do love Elf. Do you I remember do what Elf. it is?
0: How, what does he say? Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Is that, what he, is that how he answers oh, the phone?
1: Oh, I think that's a good one. Now I got to go back. I think we're going to watch it this weekend. So, I'm yes. gonna
0: do so good. All right. Are you ready for this last one? <laughs> I, you've got me ready. Yes. I just got to make sure I say it right. Okay. It is National Roast Suckling Pig Day. Bacon. (laughs) I I don't even know what that means. Yeah, probably. It's probably a fancy way of saying bacon. I don't know. (laughs) National roast suckling pig day. So... There you have it. We do agree on bacon, right? You are a fan of bacon. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We can remain friends another day. Uh, And
1: I'll put maple syrup on top of it and we're good to go. (laughs)
0: All right. So this is from uh, Intersect Project. Intersect, where faith meets culture. Sounds like the kind of website that you and I would really appreciate, actually. Mm -hmm. Here's the headline. No wayward arrows. What the Apostle Paul can teach us about social media habits. You want to get us into it?
1: Yeah, this is by Jeff Minji, uh, pastor at Catalyst Church in Virginia. He said, Titus faced a difficult task as he established, ordered, and led the church in Crete. He was surrounded by false teachers and difficult people. In fact, according to one of their own, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's Titus 112. Sounds a lot like Twitter, right? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) As Paul opened up his letter to young Titus, he offered some words of encouragement and direction. These words can help guide believers as they navigate the terrain of social media. Here are five reminders believers can apply to their social media habits. So taking the book of Titus, uh, kind of saying, hey, Twitter, the, the Cretans a little bit, of, and, and we can take what Paul said to Titus and kind of put us put us towards uh, how we can have better habits of social media. So five of them here. Let me give you number one. All right. Remember your identity. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Remember your identity. Paul opened the short letter, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ. While this introductory wording is common, we ought to remember that, quote, all of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what are we to learn from here? Slavery and stewardship. Those two themes spring from Paul's first words. He saw himself as a slave to God and as an apostle tasked with stewarding the message of Jesus Christ. Christian, those two themes ought to govern your social media habit. Uh, You too are a slave to God. You've been bought with a price. You've been transferred, and you have been given a gospel to steward. Remember your identity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, what do you think of that one?
1: I think that's good. I think... Uh, when we remember that we are representing Jesus even on social media, I think that probably will have a major influence hopefully we'll have a major influence upon. Uh, how how we interact with people and the things we're willing to post about.
0: Yeah, I like this second one too. It's kind of connected from the same verse, actually. Remember your purpose. Paul describes his apostleship as being, quote, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. This letter had purpose. Paul shot his arrow with a clear bullseye in sight and a steady hand on the bow. Christian, if we were to survey your social media habits, what would we conclude is your purpose? I'm gonna stop mm-hmm. right there. I think that's a great question to ask when sort of. And again, I think this is meant to be more of a mirror rather than binoculars, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, yep. yeah, I'm gonna ask that guy what his purpose. No, I think this is about asking the question. All right, if someone were to, you know, compile all the things you've tweeted or posted or reshared or whatever over the last year, mm-hmm. what would someone say is your purpose? Is it entertainment? Is it to avoid what you should be working on? Is it a mindless retreat from an otherwise mentally taxing life? (laughs) Is it one of the above? I think think, think it's a really important question to ask.
1: Yeah, next one's remember your hope. This is verses two and three. Paul opened the letter to young Titus. He quickly reminded Titus of the quote, hope of eternal life, Titus one, two. And so later on, he says, let your social media activity be marked by this hope. Let every tweet be posted in light of our promise-making and promise-keeping God. Hmm. let your assurance be so settled in God's promise that you are free from the desire to divisively attack others. Remember your hope. That's, that's the foundation of hope and letting stuff flow out of that. That's, that's a solid reminder.
0: Well, yeah, we're in a series too at community right now uh, called hope for everyone. So I've been kind of like steeped in a lot of hope research and a lot of hope language. And the more, the more I dive into it, I'm more, I'm like, Gosh, this might be the key that a lot of us are, are missing right now. It's not just you know, blind optimism, but hope. Number four, he says, remember your relationships, Titus one four. Paul addressed this letter to, quote, Titus, my true child in a common faith. Before he laid on Titus the weight of leadership, Paul reminded him of the camaraderie of the faith. The commands would come soon enough. Here, the apostle offers the comfort of relationship. I think that's a really keen insight because, Mm -hmm. And again, this is a little inside baseball, but as pastors, don't you feel like people are are regularly other pastors, especially in like leadership conversations like "Ah, everyone needs to have a Paul, everyone should have a Titus. And it it tends to kind of get distilled down to just the dissemination of like, why is counsel or instruction or experience like, no, but they also had a relationship there that I think this author does a good job of really elevating. Like, yeah, he begins with that. So to just like, hey, you should be doing it this way, not that way, or pay attention to this book, not that book. Yeah, devoid of like intimacy and relationship, a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. can really turn sideways.
1: Yep. Last one is this. Remember your role, Titus one four. Paul closes the introduction with a common phrase: "Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior." And this, he remembers his role. He was a conduit of grace and peace to Titus, and and he, the article goes on to say, Christians, remember your role in social media. You're to be salt and light. You're to be city mm-hmm. on a hill. The digital world is one in which you can make a real impact for Christ, but you must remember your role. Uh, I think Mm. that's such that's so huge because I don't think we often think about that. I can make an impact for Christ in social media. We're often talking about how do I not torpedo my witness, which is part of this conversation, but also going there's it's not just a minefield Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else that we need to be careful with as as Christians. Uh, But there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity to, uh, like you said, uh, speak of hope that we have. There's opportunity to uh, speak about what Christ has done in our lives and Hmm. and keeping our our role as salt and light, as he says, as city on a hill in our minds, even as we're posting and commenting, kind of opens the door to some opportunity to help people get to know who Jesus is.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said, man. Again, this is on our Facebook page. Like everything, I'd encourage you to read it share it, weigh in, in the comments. Do you agree, disagree? What would you add? I think how we navigate social media is as important as the discussions we've had all year, like, because it's just, you know, reality that a lot of us now are facing amidst a pandemic and quarantine and all of that. So either way, I think you're, I think you're right on Brian. And I think this is a really helpful kind of recalibration reminder of things that maybe we knew, but we tend to forget. So highly recommend you check that out. Coming up next, though, and for the whole second hour, something special. So back in April, uh, I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine named Lane Hunter, who back in 2005 was given just a few months to live. And so we kind of talk about his life and God and experiencing a pandemic and everything in between. So that's going to be the whole second hour coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, a conversation with my friend, Lane Hunter, who 15 years ago was given one month to live. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You know the drill with all the social media and all that interaction helps us out a whole lot. But for this second hour, we have a very special treat for you. Back in April... I had a long conversation with my dear friend, Lane Hunter, and back in 2005, he was actually given months to live, and his story and his experience is remarkable. We asked him to write a little bio, and here's what he said. He's a retired corporate executive, 68 years old, married to his wife, Deb, father of one son, two daughters, five grandchildren. He's a Christian with strong faith, trying to serve God by helping those trying to find their way back to God. God has put a number of people in my life who are either searching for God, battling illness, terminal, or any other kind of challenge, where God leads me to help them. I have a rare incurable disease where God has given me the gift of time to serve him since I was on hospice some years ago, given just a month to live. But God had another plan, and I cannot wait for you to hear his story. Uh, Why don't you first just introduce yourself um, in whatever way that you want to? You can be as Personal or professional, as uh, as you want to be.
4: Okay, hey, I'm Lane Hunter. Uh, I grow to Community Christian Church. Uh, retired. Uh, formerly was an executive with uh, Smurfit Stone. I was in charge of sales and marketing for about a nine billion dollar company. Hmm.
0: So you have a, a pretty wild story. Could you tell us just a little bit of your story and where well, you I, come from and how you how you came to be where you're at today?
4: Okay. Uh, in terms of my career, I started when I was 18 when I was going to college. Started out as an hourly person, worked my way up uh, into uh, office management when I was 21, hmm. uh, sales when I was 23, sales management, and general manager, which means you run an operation, hmm. and then a VP at 40, and then senior VP at 51,
0: I think. Wow. So can you talk to me a little bit about your illness and what – that has been like navigating all of that the last 15 years or so. Sure.
4: Uh, what happened was I initially had problems with my uh, uh, heartburn. And and it, no matter which doctor I went to and whatever medicine they tried, it didn't work. So they finally, Edwards finally recommended that I go to Russia and get the surgery, mm. which I did get done. Uh he immediately started having difficulty eating, so they took some tests, which showed that I had developed gastroparesis, which is the nerves in your stomach have started to, uh, are paralyzed. Mm. Uh, they also, when I, the company got involved, because I dropped 50 pounds fairly quickly at the time, uh, so they sent me to uh, Northwestern in uh, then and then eventually Northwestern Memorial downtown, and they did a bunch of tests with a bunch of doctors and a whole team of people. And I found out that uh, they ended up recommending surgery on my stomach, uh, did a pleuroplasty, put in a G, uh, J-tube, which is a feed P-tube, put it in a G-tube, which is for suctioning and venting. Hmm. Um, and that uh, And I continued to work while all this was going on. Uh, Continued to lose weight, but didn't lose weight rapidly. I kind of stabilized in a slow decline over about 18-month period. Mm. And then uh, shortly after making a speech on Wall Street uh, about the vision of our company, uh, I just felt I had this feeling I was crashing. I don't know if mm. you've ever gone through that. but I mean, it just felt like everything was shutting down. So uh, I uh, made, 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 made my way home back back from New York, uh, went to the hospital. They put in a TPN line to see if that would help. It did not help. Uh, Declined as the month went on, Uh, went into hospital in Edwards, and not sure how long I was in there. I might have been in there a week, 10 days, and they sent me home on hospice and said I had about a month to live. Wow. And what
0: year was this? That was in 2005. So in 2005, we were given a month to live. Right. And obviously, you're still here. What, what happened?
4: Hey, well, uh, I did go on hospice. I think I was on hospice for about three months. Made all my arrangements you know, with Dave at the time with you know, making the, what I wanted done at the funeral and taking care of all the financial stuff and the uh, legal stuff. Hmm. Uh, at the end of three months, I had a feeling that I wasn't going to die. Mm. Whereas before I did have kind of a feeling that I was dying. I had a feeling that I wasn't going to die, so I took myself off hospice. so mm. I remember it. I was not a lot of drugs at the time, so my head's not real clear exactly, you know, a lot of things there. Wow. But I did take myself off and uh, uh, kind of struggled, I would say, off and on, would go through. You know, uh, cycle bad cycles again, only to kind of bounce back and then you know fall back. But mm. generally, those cycle bad cycles would last short periods of time. Mm. Uh, I had them. I do remember a bad one in 2008, 2012, and then last year, I was having the best year of my life. Mm. In terms of, you know, in 15 years, I was feeling good. I was out walking. We were going to concerts. We were, you know, actually doing things besides being very limited. Uh, And then along about fall, this just started up again. Mm. And this time, you know, the weight just fell off Mm. much faster. And the symptoms of the pain and the cramping and all that just got progressively worse. And I have uh, been to see the doctors. Uh, there's a doctor for pain management. There's a doctor, family doctor. There's a gastro doctor specialist. Hmm. Um, there is no known cure for the disease. They all start every visit with, a am you're still here. Wow. Now, and it's kind of a joke at this point. Right. But, but, but most recently, you know, when I, uh, because of the virus, I, I got a physical done in early March and he expressed that I should get to the see the, the my specialist as soon as possible. Mm. Things being the way they were at that time, they said the soonest we can get you in is May 17th. So wow. I took the appointment, but then I you know, I just wasn't feeling well. So I called and talked to the people and I also asked my other doctor to to reach out to this guy, specialist. So he did, and he made he did agree to see me the next day in a private meeting in his office and uh he's all he even called some other doctors from around the country and then said well maybe you can try this drug experimental drug hmm. i've tried it it really hasn't done anything so uh probably going to bring it into that but i'm going to tell him that before i end, end it it really hasn't done anything other than probably hmm. making a little more miserable oh. uh, I. Um, supplement in order to try and maintain some kind of energy and calorie level. I supplement with, ensure uh, through injects it into my J tube. Mm. Uh, I used to be on a feed pump. I probably need to go back on a feed pump, but I got to get a prescription for that. Right. So, I, you know, and right now getting an appointment to get anything done is like almost impossible. Mm. But, uh, my sense is uh, and part of the reason I wanted to talk was well let me back up a little bit when i when I did go off hospice, one of the things I said to God was that uh uh I, you know any time I get is you know a blessing, and I appreciate it mm. uh and I will do whatever I can for you mm. and what began to happen was that um People would contact me. Like people used to work for me, or people I had done business with, or just or just friends. Yeah, and they were telling me their problems. Some cases it was they're trying to find a way back to God. In some cases, they were going through a chronic illness themselves, or cancer, or whatever. Mm. And you know, I would try and help them as the best I could, and I would pray that God would give me the right words to say to help this individual person with their situation. Yes. And I call those God things when they turn out good, mm. and Every time, and I, and I say this because it amazes me. Is every time it seems like, okay, well, I've completed this one, and I don't see anything in the, in front of me. Boom, I'll get a phone call. I'll get an email. Boom, another person comes into my life. Wow. Uh, the, the the I'm with. I'm talking to someone now, uh, a woman that's got MS and cancer, multiple wow. cancers, and, and it's not looking good. But Uh, trying to help her through that. And the other person that I was talking to uh, all the way to the end was Chris. Hmm. Uh, It was very comforting for, I think, for, uh, particularly for myself, but also I think for Chris and Bonnie, because, you know, I told them, uh, you know, I knew they had strong faith, so I didn't have to go there. But I also said, you know, if you want to bend, you Hmm. want to complain, you know, I can take that, but, you know, and you're right. entitled. It's okay to do that. You know, That's it's right. perfectly normal, you know. And so some of the things he went through, particularly the digestive stuff, you know, I made some recommendations along the way of tricks that I had learned to try and deal with it when, when it would flare up on him. Um, and, and in fact, uh, my next call will be with Bonnie. Right. But that we're, we're trying to uh, maintain that relationship.
3: Yeah. and see how
0: I can continue to help her. Yeah. I'm curious, why, why do you think that you're so motivated to help people in this way? Like, I just think that's beautiful that you're meeting and connecting with people in that way and that God appears to be bringing these people really strategically into your life. Like, what, what do you think is the, like, fire in your belly that motivates you to, to care for and minister to people like this?
4: I, 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 I truly, you know, there was a time, I think we, we talked earlier, once that um, when I was younger, much younger, you know, that I, I thought maybe I, I'd be a pastor. I mm-hmm. chose the route of, of the business world. And to some degree, and I enjoyed a lot of success, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And I say that not to brag, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can lower blue class. Uh, and things turned out pretty good on that side of the front for me. Um, but it wasn't until, um, and we were involved in a church locally. I told you I worked at Methodist church for some time and then, but I still felt something was missing and it was that personal relationship with God. And, and that's where Dave and some others came along and helped me develop that and gain a better understanding of where the Holy Spirit fits in things with Jesus and God. And hmm. That's why sometimes I ask you those questions too, still trying to understand that.
0: Yes, yeah, same here.
4: Uh, but I, I just feel, I feel that's what I'm supposed to be doing, mm. you know, till, till the end.
0: Well, wow. And when the end comes, it comes. And what is so unique about your story is that 15 years ago, a room full of doctors said, Hey, prepare yourself yet. You have about 30 days left and here you are 15 years later. And it hasn't been without his struggles and heartache and difficulty. But I'm, I'm wondering what wisdom would you share? What hope or encouragement would you give having, having had the experience of being in hospice care, preparing yourself for the end, at least this side of eternity? Like what perspective do you, do you think that's given you? Well, uh, first of all,
4: no one knows when you, nobody knows when you're going to die other than God. Hmm. You know, and I think that's, you know, I know doctors are doing what they think is best. And uh, and I've kept the same doctors, so it's not like I've lost confidence in them or anything. But um, I feel, you know, I feel I was kept alive to to serve him and try and help others. And, you know, as long as I can do that and be of some help, he's probably, he may keep me around. Mm. But I also understand I was prepared to die, you know, the, the last time, the first time with the hospice. You know, I had got myself that wrapped around and that took a little bit of, of time because I had been told I was terminal, you know, before that. Right. So I had probably maybe nine months to prepare myself. You know, some of it initially was, you know, is, is the money taken care of? Is the legal taken care of? You know, everything taken care of? Right. the kids taken care of and all that kind of stuff? Hmm. Uh, and um, also, you know, people were surprised that, you know, when I walked away, I resigned the day I was told I was terminal. Mm. And the company, a lot of most people thought, I you know, if I did bounce back, I would come back to work. Mm. No, there's no desire there at all. Mm. I mean, and I loved my job, so it right. wasn't like you know I missed out on something. You know, I loved it, but uh, I think it's just been a better path for me. Mm. You know, maybe it was you know at that time I think maybe it was a wake up call.
0: Do you think that most people are prepared to die?
4: Um, from Based on uh, those that I've had uh, at length conversations, I would say most people will, you know, say they are, and they probably have not given a lot of deep thought to it. Hmm. And uh, again, it depends on where you're at in your life. You know, if how close you come to death, you know, if someone close to you died. Right. And you watch that happen. You know, I watched my parents, you know, go through what they went through and mm. my brother. Uh, um, but I, I would still say I I even talked to you about that. I I almost think sometimes we should have a session on, you know, like a three, three uh message session on death, you know, mm. because we're all gonna die.
3: Right.
4: And if what we believe is true, and we believe it is true. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we be, why are we uncomfortable talking
0: about it? Right, right. I I wonder too, if in some unique way, being told you're going to die and then living another decade and a half has a way of almost stripping the the stigma of not talking about death. You're like, well, I kind of stared it in the face, so I'm not going to be afraid of talking about it anymore.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's Just another, there's another thing. I mean, I, I, I know that Chris wasn't afraid.
3: Yeah. Right.
4: Wasn't, you know, just know it, Hmm. you know, that was just a great, you know, not that I wanted to lose him or anything like that. I loved the guy.
0: Yeah. Me
3: too.
4: Uh, But if ever anybody was so, you know, for sure he was.
0: Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Why do you think, why do you think so many people are afraid to die?
4: Um, uh, I think some people, uh, are afraid of suffering mm. and, and, but I think most of it is that, you know, I just don't want to think about it now cause I'm living, you know?
3: Right. Right.
4: You no, know, that's a downer to think about it. Mm. Not, you know, and I wouldn't want to present it as a downer. I would want to present it as, you know, this is what we believe we're all going to go. And if you, you know, if your faith is strong, you'll be all right. You're going to be all right. No matter what you know, it's tough on those left behind. Yes. Yeah. It is tough on them.
0: Yeah, that's, that's for sure. It's one of the strangest parts of being a pastor is you're invited into those spaces, you know, as people are breathing their last grieving with the family after the fact there, there is an odd, it is, I consider it a deep honor and privilege, but it is one of the strangest parts of the job is to have to confront death fairly regularly and it has been interesting in the last fifteen years how vastly different people deal with it or or interact with it or or talk about it. And this is why I've so appreciated getting together with you and and talking with you and hearing your heart and you and your wife both, I mean, you guys serve and give back in, in pretty remarkable ways. There seems to be just this this love for people and has that always been there? Like do you think that your like love for people and wanting to serve and come alongside people. Has that always been there, or is that something that has grown? Where, where I, does that come from?
4: Well, in, in our house, our, my mom had a very strong faith in God. And, I mean, she, she held her own Bible classes in her house, you know, from when her children, you know, memorized the Bible. Get, I used to get up and pretend I was Billy Graham and give sermons in the house, house that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but when you're in the business world, I'm guilty of, you know, that probably became the higher priority. Right. For a period of time, not that I wasn't going to church, you know, or I think I treated people right, things like that. But, but I know that I didn't give as much as I should
3: have. Mm.
4: And so that's why I take this very seriously. You know, mm. you know, um, I, one of the things I did want to, uh, talk to you about was again, this one feels different. This, uh, this cycle. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I, um, uh, one thing I asked Chris, I said, you know, uh, he, he, you know, you're going to go. You don't know exactly when. Right. But, and then in my case, the situation was a little different, you know, but I said, you know, do now should I, you know, should I back up a minute and say, you know, is this, you know, am I in my last uh, battle or is this one going to break too?
3: Right, right.
4: I don't know which one. And that's the first time I've had that feeling. In some time,
0: you know. Wow. So, so I, I'm wondering, we're in this unique kind of uncharted season right now, not just you know as a country, but as a as a planet, where a lot of people are being faced with or confronting conversations or realities around death in a very new and in many ways scary kind of way. I'm wondering what what hope or encouragement or challenge even would you give to someone who is petrified of death or petrified even of the unknown, of the possibility of death, having, having walked the journey that you have, what, what would you say to the person who's just feeling like overwhelmed right now?
4: I think it's, I think it's best to find someone to talk to and, and get, you know, get the subject on the table. You know, what are you you afraid of? You know, are you afraid you're going to get the virus? Are you afraid you're going to suffer? Or are you afraid you're going to die? Hmm.
3: You
4: know, those are different, all different things. Right. Um, You know, I watched the special on the virus. One of the sad things is, you know, most of the people who, you know, get to the bad end stage, they're alone. Hmm. You know, they don't have family members there, you
3: know. Right,
4: right. And, And, you know, if they weren't ready beforehand, you know, and then once they get on a ventilator, you know, they're sedated. Right. You know, so, and and from what I hear, you know, most die anyway Mm. at that point, which, which is another reason why, you know, sometimes I wonder why there isn't more of a wake up call. Mm. You know, there is this hurry to get back to normal. And I understand getting back to normal and we all want to get back to normal, but right. uh, maybe we have a few minutes to think, you know, maybe, maybe we've had this lockdown or maybe we should be taking advantage of this lockdown to give some thought to are are you prepared yourself? And then are can you help others be prepared? You know, hmm. in some way, shape or form, but it is particularly sad to, you know, to hear that you know, they've not been around their family for two weeks and then you know, they've reached that stage. There's no coming back, you know, there. Right.
0: Yeah. Are there, are there things from your faith that have been particularly helpful, like either Bible verses or things that you've heard or read that kind of stand out to you as like useful truths to kind of cling to? Uh, Well,
4: one thing that I do, you know, and it might sound a little crazy, might have me institutionalized, but um, when, when I'm thinking about things, you know, like this virus or or my own health situation or someone else's health situation, that's bad. You know, I, I just, I like to picture Jesus sitting there right next to me, mm. you know, and I literally see him, mm. you know, now I know that's my mind, you know, and there's a lot to do with that, but I just find comfort in actually seeing, you know, having him there. And I know he already knows everything, mm. but kind of, I kind of run through you know, my list of, you know, what's going on in my head and say, you know, there's, here's this person, here's this person, you know, or here's my situation, you know, whatever. Hmm. Those are, those things have been helpful. I mean, you know, I think we talked about this before. Yeah. You know, you, when you help people, you get more out of it than they do. Right. You know, and, and until you do it, you don't know that, hmm. but it's true. You know, my wife, yeah she does the kids help mentoring thing you know she she loves that and she she's helping people, yeah, but she's getting a lot out of that too you know yep. they are the mentors are she is you know and i and I just think of the you know the ripple effect you know if you if you affect some people, they affect some people, I'm sure you thought it that, that way too you know yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
4: My best feelings in life are those you know, when you feel like you help somebody
0: yeah, absolutely. How do, how do you specifically feel about death? Death?
3: Yeah.
4: Well, there's a part of me that uh, is ready to go, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I think it'll be perfect. You know, hmm. it couldn't be great. It'll be great. Hmm. Uh, and then there's a human part of me that says, but wait a minute, <laughs> my wife won't be there. My kids won't be there. My grandkids won't be there. But that's me. That's the human side of us all, you
0: know? Right. Do you, do you find that you sort of oscillate between the two?
4: You know, what I try to do is say, what's well, up to God anyway. So,
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a chicken way out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Do you think that like having to face your own mortality in that way has, has strengthened your ability to say things like that? Like, I'm just going to trust no, God. Yeah, I'm going to leave no. my life to God. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah I think so. So, how do we do that? How do we all get to that level of open handedness with our life? Like, how, how do we, apart from a terminal illness in the day to day of our lives, like really truly have faith in God in that way, like the, to that depth?
4: You, you know, there was, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but one, one time uh, when Dave wrote a book about, uh, and he included a chapter in his book about my story. Yeah. And uh he also invited me on the stage one time, you know, they had kind of just told a little he had his message and then he had told a little bit about my story and then brought me up there. And mm. and one of the things that uh I thought would come out of it was that some, you know, kind of like, why doesn't everybody try this? Now I didn't expect everybody to try this, you know, I'm not naive, but mm. I would have thought there would have been some igniting of some people trying giving it a try mm. and then some follow-up, you know, cause how do you get that? How do you, you know, no one person can do it. So, you know, you need a group of people to get that momentum going.
0: Right. Right.
4: And people that kind of have that mindset, you know, there's, you know, your relationship with God, your personal relationship with God, but then, you know, you've got a bit, part of your, I think part of our job is, is, you know, while we're here, we're supposed to be doing some things for it. Mm-hmm. And, and serving him in whatever fashion we can. And I think he helps guide us, you know, where he thinks we're where we're best suited. Hmm. Um, but um, I, that's a question I'd ask you is, you know, why, why is that a no-go-to subject? Hmm. Is it because it's a downer? I know our mission at our church is helping people find their way back to God. Yeah. But what about the second stage, which is you know, getting you to live the life hmm. beyond church, you know, beyond going to church. And we have people to do that. I'm not saying we don't, yeah. you know, we, but how do you get more people to do that? And then how do you get them to get into motion, you know, to help yeah. others?
0: Man, that is the million dollar question. I think one of the things that I often hear as a pastor, when it, when it comes to actually giving back, right. With our, with our time, with our talents, with our resources, Often when it comes to serving, I hear people a lot of times say, well, I want to work on my own spiritual growth first before I start to serve. I want to kind of, I feel like I need to grow and mature a little bit before I, you know, actually it's that That's one of my
4: favorite excuses.
0: Right. Well, and what I'll often tell people is, what if I told you that one of the main vehicles by which God grows us is by serving, is by giving back. We like create these two dichotomies like, oh, I have my growth part of my life. And then once I'm grown enough, then I'll start serving. I'm like, no, 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 giving back and serving and volunteering and loving on your neighbor and loving on your community. Like that's how God grows us. That's how the roots go down deep. And I think we've in some circles kind of dichotomized. And I think part of what's interesting among many things with your story is I find that a lot of people, if they have some kind of near death experience or someone close to them dies it, it's really jarring and it kind of snaps us out of our sleepwalk state where I'm I'm only concerned with me and mine. Yeah. Something like death has a very strange way of clearing the fog from our eyes a little bit. And you yeah. begin to realize in a new way, like life is not completely about me and I want to give back and love others, which is what I love about you and your wife and the way that you serve and love people because it's you're know, like, yeah, I want to use whatever time I have here. Yep. to point people to God, to love them, to show them the love of God. And I, I think that's a gift. I think our church is better for it. I know I'm better for it. Having even just had conversations with you, like it's inspired and motivated me even. And
4: I, know a, that, I have a quick little story to tell you. I've had, yeah, a, had a guy who used, to, who used to work for me, came to work for me in 1986. So we've known each other a long time. Hmm. And not only did we work together, but uh, he, he also became a close personal friend. And he was formerly a Catholic, but he basically gave up the church when he was in his 20s, mm-hmm. completely, completely, you know. And he lost his wife about three or four years ago uh, to, to cancer. And, and she had a lot of health problems, but uh, he lost his wife. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, every once in a while, you know, you try and talk to him, about, you know, he just didn't want to go there. You know, if you want to talk about, how, you know, he was respectful, but he didn't want to go there. You know, uh, he was well, not too many not too many months ago. I was talking to him on the phone one day. He lives in Connecticut, and he um, he said, uh, "You know, I've been thinking. Uh, I'll never go back to Catholic Church." You know. But I guess there's no reason not to to go to a church. You no, know, <laughs> nothing bad about it, you know. So he went to some small church, and um, now he's going regularly. No, now it's stopped because of the virus, but hmm. you know what? He is starting to talk about it. You know, he's gone. He's seventy-eight. Wow. And he, so he's you know, he is giving thought to you know, I better get myself, you know, my house in order. Yeah. And I think that I think that's good. You know that he it may have taken a lot longer, you know, 30 yeah. some years, but it's finally getting through. And he's, you know, he's asking the right questions and that makes her feel good.
0: Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that's interesting to me, whenever I conduct a funeral and it, and it's, it's a pretty universal reality. It doesn't matter if uh, <laughs> it's a Christian funeral or the person was old or young. I'm always paying attention to what, the people that are gathered are saying and almost every funeral i've ever done i'll hear the same phrase over and over again where people say why has it been so long since we've connected and the response almost always is well life got in the way that's the that is the yeah the great excuse that i always say. well life got in the way and it's always the challenge that i give at funerals is don't let life get in the way like it's the thing that we're given. And so often things like funerals, they do, they kind of snap us out of it. And we're like, Why haven't I connected with you? I love you. Like you we haven't yeah. seen each other in five years. We haven't seen each other in twelve years. We haven't talked in five what you know, like it's a it is it clarifies things a little bit in terms of our priorities. And it is unfortunate that it often yeah. takes death or a tragedy for us to realize that. But my goodness, what a what a gift it can be for us to really reevaluate like No, like you were saying, I'm going to use whatever time I have here to love people. And I think in some ways that's, that's a gift that you, you've been given that perspective and, you know, God's allowed you for 15 years to, to use that, you know, I
4: I feel, I do feel lucky. I do.
0: Yeah. I think that's remarkable.
4: Well, that's God doing his work. That's, that's what I
0: do. I think. Can I ask another question? If you could, if you if you could travel back in time, what would you say to yourself 25 years ago?
4: I probably, uh, well, not probably, I, sh- I should, have put him on top of first, you know, a long time ago, you mm-hmm. know, he was there, but mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I was driven on my career. I, I mean, I was driven. I mean, there's anybody that knows me. If I told you different. It wouldn't be the truth. Mm-hmm. I was driven. You know, once I got it, you know, when you're 18, you grow up lower middle class, you have a vision of where you kind of, you know, I figured my life's going to end up better than my dad because I was going to college and things like that. Hmm. But I didn't have any idea that they I, I would go as pars. as I did. And, you know, it's kind of addictive. You know, it is addictive, you know. Yeah. You know it was never for me, and some people don't believe this, but it's, it, I can honestly say this, it was never about the money for me. Hmm. And never about the power, but it was, I like building teams and, and, you know, it, you know, my business philosophy was treat customers right, treat people, right. And it'll all work out. And it did, it hmm. did, hmm. you know, sometimes people don't fit and you got to make a difficult decision. They refuse to fit in. Hmm. But overall, most people want to be part of a winner and be part of a good team. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, that's just the way I did the job. You know, people kept telling me, you know, early on, I had, I was lucky I had some mentors in the company uh, telling me that you're going to, you're going to harden up over a period of time, you know, have to do difficult things. You might fire people. You might have to shut, you know, close businesses down, you know, because when you're a a $9 billion company and you've got to go back and shut down a business, you know, that affects a lot of people's lives, things like that. Right. I can say I I like I, and I think they would say this too. I don't think I ever hit that hard and upstage. I would not let myself do that. Mm. Not th- not that I was always perfect because I'm not. I wasn't. You know, I made mm. some mistakes along the way, but yeah, I sh- but I should have put them first. Mm. And that you know that might have made me uh, a better father and better husband too. I know it would have. Mm. Yeah you know, they don't complain about me because they're nice people. <laughs> but, you know, they understand, you know, like, you know, when I talk to them about it, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't there for that, or I'm sorry I wasn't there for that. You know, because mm. I travel a lot. I traveled at the time, like 60, 70% of the time,
3: mm.
4: you know, around the country. And at some I went to China, Europe, other places.
3: Yeah.
4: And, you know, it was gone, you know, and but my kids, you know, the ones, you know, they, they said, well, that's, that was your life. You know, they just thought it was normal, you know, to them, but, I did miss out on some things, you know, and I've tried to make up for that since then. Hmm. Um, I do believe my kids know I love them and, you know, that no matter what, you know, I always will. Hmm. Uh, so it's not bad, but, right. you know, I just, I think if I had to put them earlier on in the game on top, it hmm. might have had a, a bigger ripple effect.
3: Hmm.
4: Who knows? Maybe I would have changed directions. I don't know. Yeah. Right. You know? don't
0: know so what do you what do you say to the person then who maybe they're where you were where they were super driven to their job and they loved their family but they maybe you know god made the top five for them but he wasn't he wasn't number one right what do you what what word would you say to the person right now who is like no to the grindstone tunnel vision my career is my priority or my entertainment is my priority or they're sort of living in that space where yeah, God's in the mix somewhere in, in the top five, top 10, but he's he's certainly not number one. What, what would you say to that person?
4: I would say that I, you know, when I put him on top, I was, you know, I put him on top before I got really sick. I mm. think I, I believe that. Um, but he was super, super on top when I was sick. Mm. And it just made me aware that, you know, I tell people that, if I had done that, any problems I ever had in my life, I probably, you know, I probably self-created a lot of those, mm-hmm.
3: you know? Mm-hmm. So
4: again, I just want to make sure one thing is I am very grateful that he let me live for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I was, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the distraction at work anymore mm-hmm. and I didn't miss it. You know, maybe he arrange that too. You know, I just didn't miss it. You know, and people just don't believe me when I say it, but I don't,
3: Hmm.
4: you know, it was great when it was going on, but I don't miss it. And and overall, I consider myself pretty lucky. Yeah.
0: No kidding. I love that. And you, and you've always been consistent with that too. Every time we've met for coffee, you, you've talked about just how, how blessed and lucky that you feel that that's been something that stood out to me is how consistently you share that.
3: And
4: that just shows you that if you let them in, totally, it just makes your whole life better.
0: No kidding, Lane. I mean, thank you so much for for sharing so much of your story with us. Would would you? Uh, I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but would you mind just praying to close us out? Sure. Yeah.
4: Dear God, thank you for uh, putting him in, into my life. Uh, he's been a great addition to the Community Christian Church. I think I believe he's been a great addition. And I know a lot of other people believe that too. Uh, I uh, appreciate all the things you've done for me, putting uh, people in my life to help serve you. I appreciate very much that you've given me the extra time. I appreciate my family and I sure hope they know that. I tell them that, but I sure hope they know that and believe that. Mm. And um, I just hope that uh, what, whatever time I have, whether that's a, you know another six months or a year or 10 years, whatever it is, mm that I can continue to serve you and that you put people in in front of me and give me the, uh, the words and skills to, uh, to be a good service, not just service, but good service. Mm. And I thank you God for everything that you've done for me and my family. Mm. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks brother. We, we love you guys a lot. And I'm really grateful for you and for your friendship. And I think our church is much better having, having you guys in it. I'm grateful for you.
4: Thank you.
0: Take care. Yeah, you as well, brother. Bye-bye. I think it goes without saying, but I am so grateful for Lane and the ministry that God has placed on his heart and his story. And my hope and prayer is that hearing his words and hearing some of his perspective gives you some hope, gives you some beauty in the midst of a lot of chaos right now. And to remind all of us that every breath is precious. Every moment is a gift to us from God My sincere thanks to Lane and to John for all the work he put in to make that happen. And we hope that you have a great weekend. For Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope
3: for your life.